I uh, I purchased a DVD recently of a TV series, which aired originally back in the early 1950s. Mm. All right. The title of the <clears throat> series was Victory at Sea. Some of you might recall that. Mm -hmm. It was uh, had to do with World War II. I think it's in the fourth episode. I'm not sure. I think I we watched up through episode four of it. Uh, anyway, that episode tells of one of the most famous unheeded warnings in history. That, that occurred on a Sunday morning, December the 7th, 1941. It occurred in Pearl Harbor, Hawaii, on the island of Hawaii. There were two Army radar operators on duty that day in a forward position and they observed 180 airplanes headed toward Hawaii. They were coming from the north. They were still 130 miles out when they observed it. So they warned a lieutenant who told them, don't worry about it. Don't be concerned. They asked if they should report it to someone, and he said again, uh, don't worry about it. Assuming they were, they were uh, our airplanes, whole squadrons of airplanes. Well, that was the worst military disaster in in our history that took place in the surprise bombing of Pearl Harbor. Harbor. But you know that should not have been a surprise. Devastation. Many, many lives lost. So, they warned, but the warning was not heeded. They did not. It went into empty space. Well, we're going to see in our study of Scripture today a lesson about consequences that come well, from an unheeded warning. Our lesson today uh, focuses on part of uh, Genesis chapter 19. Uh, but if you've noticed as we've gone through uh, the book of Genesis so far, we're not taking the, the, the book of Genesis verse by verse, uh, but rather our Lifeway curriculum uh, has set up our lessons uh, in the style of sort of like Reader's Digest, you know, you're hitting some high spots as we go along. Uh, and where we left off last Sunday was at the end of chapter 17 of Genesis. Uh, and we saw God renewing his covenant with 99-year-old Abraham, telling him that he and his wife, Sarah, would give birth to a son. And also, all males of this lineage that would come 
including Abraham and his household, would be identified by the mark of physical circumcision. Well, before we skip to chapter 19, uh, we need to see its introduction, which is found in chapter 18, and that's where we need to see the background for our lesson today. And so if you follow in your Bibles, and I encourage you to always bring your Bibles, or, or a device that has your, uh, the scripture in it for you, uh, because looking at chapter 18, beginning with verse 1, listen. The Lord appeared to Abraham at the Oaks of Mamre, where he was sitting at the entrance of his tent during the heat of the day. He looked up, that would be Abraham looked up, and he saw three men standing near him. When he saw them, he ran from the entrance of the tent to meet them, bowed to the ground, and said, My Lord, if I have found favor with you, please do not go on past your servant. Let a little water be brought, that you may wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. I will bring a bit of bread so that you may strengthen yourselves. This is why you have passed your servant's way. Later you can continue on. Yes, they replied, do as you have said. Now when Abraham said, my Lord, it's not like my Yahweh Lord. This is just my Lord. Adam is the word that's used here like Adonai. But Adam, which is just my Lord, it's just a title, if you will. My Lord, so it's sir, sir. And so, now, we will learn shortly that these three men are Yahweh, Jehovah himself, along with two angels, uh, that is, two, two messengers, all of them having the appearance of men. Uh, so here in chapter 18, the primary dialogue is between Yahweh, one of the men, and Abraham, the two angelic messengers. Their assignment uh, unfolds in chapter 19. And so this following Mideastern uh, custom, Abraham shows them hospitality. Hospitality is strong, uh, always has been in the Middle East. He doesn't offer them a mere snack, you know, for them just to rest and have a snack. He and his wife and his servants, they prepare a feast, all right, which uh, the, these visitors ate, all right. Now, <laughs> they're, they're this manifestation of men Yahweh doesn't need to eat, nor does these angels. They're not accustomed to, to eating, but they ate. They received Abraham's hospitality. All right. Looking down and beginning with verse 9, where is your wife Sarah? They asked him. Where is your wife Sarah? There in the tent, he answered, and the Lord said, I will certainly come back to you in about a year's time, and your wife Sarah will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent behind him. Abraham and Sarah were old and getting on in years. 
Sarah had passed the age of childbearing, so she laughed to herself. After I, I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I have this delight? But, but the Lord asked Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh? Saying, Can I really have a baby when I'm old? Is anything impossible for the Lord? Is anything impossible for the Lord? Uh, and that's why I wanted to play the song this morning. Go by the quartets and nothing is impossible for God. Just trust in his word. Jeremiah the prophet knew the answer. Jeremiah 32, 17 says, I prayed to the Lord, O Lord God, you yourself made the heavens and earth by your great power and with your outstretched arms. Nothing is too difficult for you. We recognize that today in our lives. Nothing is too difficult for you. Picking up in verse uh, 14, at the appointed time, I will come back to you and in about a year, she will have a son. Sarah denied it. I did not laugh, she said, because she was afraid. But he replied, no, you did laugh. You did laugh. It's probably about this time of this, this encounter that Abraham realized that the visitor doing all the talking was just was no ordinary man. It was God himself. It was Yahweh, Jehovah, the great I am. And verse 16 says, The men got up from there and looked over, looked out over Sodom, and Abraham was walking with them to see them off. Then the Lord said, Should I hide what I am about to do from Abraham? Now, the you know the appearance of the Lord and the Lord God and these two messengers to Abraham, that was just not some casual encounter. All right? So we're get, being given some verses here that 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 fall along with God's insight, all right, regarding their their visit. Eighteen. Abraham is to become a great and powerful nation. And all the nations of the earth we bless through him. For I have chosen him so that he will command his children and his house after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. Keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. Abraham has a God-given purpose. He's been enlisted now, so he needs to see things uh, from the perspective of a, of a holy, sovereign God. You know, the same is true for you and me. The same is true for everyone who's committed his or her life uh, as, as a disciple of Jesus Christ. In verse 20, then the Lord said, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is immense, and their sin is extremely serious. I will go down to see if what they have done justifies the cry that has come up to me, 
If not, I will find out. The men turned from there and went toward Sodom, while Abraham remained standing beside or before the Lord. All right. Now, on this particular day, the, the bomb site, if you were, if you, uh, please, of God's judgment was focused on the cities Sodom and Gomorrah. There were some other smaller cities as well. Sodom was, was the place where Abraham's nephew Lot and his family lived. So starting with verse 23, Abraham began interceding on behalf of any inhabitants who might be righteous people living among the wicked. Starting with the possibility of maybe 50 righteous uh, Abraham then haggled it down to, to the number 10. All right. To the number 10. If there were only 10, if there were 10 righteous, would you still destroy it? And God says, no, if there were 10, I will not. Okay. This is about God going down. Of course, God already knows. But this is telling us that God's going to be sure. What the outcry from the heavenly hosts about the sins of the atrocious sins, the terrible sins, these cities. The outcry that is going to, he's going to be sure. No hearsay. You know, hearsay is terrible. We as a church are guilty of that. You know, we as believers are guilty of taking hearsay. When somebody says something, and we'll take it at face value without checking it up on it. You know? Matter of fact, we might even tell somebody else about it, what's been said. And along the way, we'll, of course, make it interesting. You know, we might embellish it just a, a tad. That old telephone game, you know. Pass things along, whisper in the ear, and by the time it gets to the other end, it's completely different. There's no hearsay here. All right. Gary Stever points out hundreds of years later this conversation uh, about getting down to the number of 10 this conversation establishes the requirement for a town to have a synagogue in it and it took 10 Jewish men to justify the building of a synagogue using this conversation as a model I didn't know that I didn't realize that So this haggling, this uh, bargaining, if you will, goes on all the way down to uh, verse 32, right, where it begins again. Then he said, let my Lord not be angry. This is uh, Abraham. And I will speak one more time. Suppose 10 are found there. And he answered, I'll not destroy it on account of 10. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he departed and Abraham returned to his place. All right. <clears throat> it was evening uh, that day when the two men or angels arrived in, in, in Sodom. Now, we don't know exactly where Sodom and Gomorrah, they were two twin cities. We don't know exactly where they were. But 
we have an idea. And uh, I've, if I've looked at a bunch of maps, pinpointing it, and, and, and Sodom and Gomorrah are identified in lots of places. But it's the southern shoreline, if you will, of the Dead Sea. It's a, Abraham, the Oaks of Memory, where he was, is up in Hebron. And Hebron is, is uh, if you will look, if, if you're back, your maps may have it, but I don't think so. Hebron is uh, about 20 miles northwest of this region of the Dead Sea, the shore. And you can go online and you can look up the archaeology. Look up archaeology, Sodom and Gomorrah. And a lot of work has been done over the years to find places. And you can find interesting information about these cities there. Did you say Hebron? Hebron. It's on there. Okay. H-E-B-R-O-N. Yeah. Hebron. That's where it was. And so about, if you go 20 miles <laughs> southeast of there, you come end up to the region of the Dead Sea. And either they were on the shoreline of the Dead Sea, or now they're right under the Dead Sea. They're in that region, all right? That's where they, that's where they, all this takes place. But you can look up the archaeology, you can find pottery, burned, glazed pottery, on, glazed on one side. You can find skeletons. The little layers, you know, you dig down, as they do, you can find ash. Not only can you find ash, you can find sulfur balls, balls of sulfur. All right. Get that in just a minute. All right. But this is the beginning, where we are now at the beginning of chapter uh, 19. So, the two angels entered Sodom in the evening as Lot was sitting in Sodom's gateway. Gateway. When Lot saw them, he got up to meet them. He bowed with his face to the ground and said, My lords, turn aside to your servant's house, wash your feet, and spend the night. Then you can get up early and go on your way. Lot didn't know they were God's messengers, of course. At this point, they were just simply travelers. And Lot was at the city gate. And the city gate meant he had some uh, degree of authority there in some respect in the city. At the city gates, business was done at the city gate. And so he was there and he saw them. Maybe he was, uh, well, maybe a judge, but it's not said. We don't know what is, why he was exactly there, but it seemed to be a common place for him. He was at the gate. And, and we know here the same kind of intentional hospitality displayed by Lot that was displayed by Abraham. There are some differences, of course, but that's the main effect. All right. That was what was being, being said. And, and so they replied in the latter part of that verse, too. No, they said, we would rather spend the night in the square. Uh, but he urged them so strongly that they followed him and went into his house. He prepared a feast and baked unleavened bread for them, and they ate. 
it was a hurry up preparation, but it was a, a feast. Uh, you know, sleeping in, in this particular town square in the middle of town was not a good thing for him to do. Lot knew that that was not right, that they should not do that. Uh, all right. Now then, so they had this big meal. I'm, I'm sure these guys who are not accustomed, accustomed to eating, they were probably just stuffed at this point. Graciously stuffed. Right. And then, verse 4, before they went to bed, the men of the city of Sodom, both young and old, the whole population, whole population of men, that is, uh, uh, surrounded the house. And they called out to Lot and said, where are the men who came to you tonight? Send them out to us so we can have sex with them. Lot went out to them at the entrance and shut the door behind him. And he said, don't do this evil, my brothers. Look, I've got two daughters who haven't been married, haven't been intimate with a man. I'll bring them out to you and you can do whatever you want to them. However, don't do anything to these men because they have come under the protection of of my roof. Now then, uh, these men, now we know the primary, there's all kinds of wickedness in, in Sodom. But the emphasis has always been, especially in the Bible, on this particular sin that they had. Uh, unfortunately, since it was a whole town, all the population, there's this sin because they're in Sodom, our term is sodomy, all right? Had become normal, normalized, all right? If you're in the midst of wickedness for a long period of time, it becomes like just normal. All right? Today, in our culture, in our society, in our community, the LBTQ community wants to be recognized as this is just normal. Gender identification by personal preference is just normal. We want to make it all normal. Level everything out, accepted. All right, it was accepted, and then practiced by everybody. All right, and it's it's a warning to us. All right, and so we find a lot was really a, he was really entertaining angels, if you will, on, unaware. The writers of he writer of Hebrews. Uh, said, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Well, the men at the door, get out of the way, they said, adding this one, this one came here as an alien, but he's acting like a judge. Talking, they're talking about Lot here. Now we'll do more harm to you than to them. They put pressure on Lot and came up to break down the door, but the angel reached out, brought Lot into the house with them, shut the door, and they struck the men who were at the entrance of the house, both young and old, with blindness. 
so that they were unable to find the entrance. The blindness here is a glare type of blindness, a temporary thing. They could see light, but they couldn't make distinctions, and they just went around blindly. Finally, they had to give up. They just couldn't find the door. They were going to break down. All right. He's an alien. I mean, he's not like us. All right. He's different. And he makes us feel like we're being judged as being wicked or something. Uh, and there's, there's the popular expression uh, of the days that people say, don't judge me. All right. Don't judge me. And Jesus said, don't. Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. We are not the judge, of course, but we are able to discern right from wrong according to God's standards. And with the striking of blindness, Lot may have begun to realize these two guests were not just ordinary travelers. They were on a mission. They had an assignment, which was accompanied by a sense of urgency. Verse 12 in chapter 19. Then the angel said to Lot, Do you have anyone else here, a son-in-law, your sons and daughters, or anyone else in the city who belongs to you? Get them out of this place, for we are about to destroy this place because of the outcry against its people. It, the outcry is so great before the Lord that the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So are there others? Of course, at least ten. The real question is, has, has Lot's witness uh, caused anyone in this city to become righteous so that they may be saved and, and not destroyed? Uh, Lot's received this spiritual favor because of his association with his uncle Abraham. But the angel asks, is there anyone else in his family or in the city who's received favor because their association not with Abraham, but with Lot. After all, a believer isn't uh, just saved to be a party of one. You and I are not saved to be a party of one. We're saved uh, to influence faith in God and other people. We come into contact, the other people we come in contact with, especially those in our own house. Sean Thomas says, the question for each of us is, who do you have in this city that you need to take with you to heaven. Seek to lead them out of this place of condemnation. Condemnation we all deserve. Pray for them. Minister to them. Build a relationship with them and witness to them. Seek to win them to the Lord. Well, the angel says there's no time to spare. They, they tell Lot their mission is to destroy. That is, they're going to completely, uh, they're going to annihilate the city completely. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who were getting, going to marry his daughters. Get up, he said. Get out of this place for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But his sons-in-law thought he was joking. Well, the only people Lot could think of was these young men who were going to betroth to his, his daughters. They're called son, son-in-laws, all right? Son-in-laws. All right. He, he, you know, it's like we see people carrying the sign. If you've seen the sign, it says, the end is near, repent. And yeah, get serious. Yeah. Laugh. That's laughable. 
All right, sure. Well, that with the idea, you know, yeah, that's not happening. Get real. And that warning is ignored. When that or if that when that warning is ignored, the consequences are grave. All right. And at daybreak, the angels urge Lot on, get up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you'll be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he hesitated. Angels pleaded with him, get up, get up, we've got to get moving. And Lot did what? Hesitated. I'm not too sure about this. He's torn, I believe, between his sense of security that he, he felt in, there in the city and the fear of leaving it for something better on the basis of what he had been told by these two strange men. So he hesitated. He hesitated. Because of the Lord's compassion for him, the men grabbed his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters, and they brought him out and left him outside the city. Now we know why there were two men and not just one. All right? It took two men. All right? There were four of them. There was one person for each hand, all right? One person for each hand. And they just they, they just had to drag Lot and his family outside the city. And, and that really was an act of uh, compassion, the Lord's compassion. It's been said that Lot was a, a good man, but he was, he was a man of weak character. Verse 17, as soon as the angels got them outside, one of them said, run for your lives. Don't look back and don't stop anywhere on the plain. Run to the mountains or you will be swept away. Run for your lives. Don't look back. Right? Don't be wishy-washy about going. That'll just slow you down. Don't stop anywhere. <clears throat> right. Don't stop anywhere. They're not told that they're, they're told don't stop anywhere in the valley because Sodom isn't the only city in the valley that's going to be destroyed. All right, that's why they're directed to run to the mountain. And so even in the urgency of all of this, Lot began bargaining. All right, but Lot said, "No, my lords, please." Your servant has indeed found favor with you, and you've shown me great kindness by saving my life. But I can't run to the mountains. The disaster will overtake me, and I will die. Look, this town is close enough for me to flee. It's a small place. Please let me run to it. It's only a small place, isn't it? So that I can survive. Mm -hmm. And he said to him, this is the, the angel. He said to him, all right, I'll grant your request about this matter too and will not demolish the town you mentioned. All right? Not mention it. Okay? So, Lot's reasoning here seems to be, I'm afraid of going to the mountains. I, I'm, I'm used to city life now. I, I want, going to a small town would be, be more my thing. All right? My style. 
So fear rather than trust is what gripped Lot at this particular moment. It seems to be controlling him. John Thomas says that if, been, if he had been one of these angels at this time, he would have told Lot, he says, forget it. Just stay here and die. <laughs> but that wasn't God's reply. And the demonstration of grace, that, that's Lot's request, was, was, was granted. Was granted. So, continue. Verse 20, hurry up, run for it. I cannot do anything until you get there. Therefore, the name of the city is Zoar. Zoar. That, that means, just means small. That town means, it means small. All right. That was just a, a, a demonstration of God's grace in granting his request. But then, then comes the judgment. Then comes the judgment. Verse 23, the sun had risen over the land when Lot reached Zohar. Then out of the sky, the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, burning sulfur from, from the Lord. He demolished these cities, the entire plain, all the inhabitants of the cities, and whatever grew on the ground. Wow. Now, sulfur, sulfur, you know, sulfur. You know, burn sulfur. It's what's matches, you know. Sulfur is used in making the matches. But make matches, it's very flammable. Uh, and it gives off a bad odor, you know. But it stinks. It stinks, all right. Well, back in Genesis 14, when there was a battle going on, uh, we learned that there, there were, in this area there were very large, oily, pits of asphalt or tar uh, and so you can imagine what happens if you mix these hot tar pits with um, sulfur <clears throat> raining down I mean that reason probably just because it exploded a fantastic explosion just can't imagine it the, the destruction was was uh, complete. I mean, everything. The area was once uh, described as being beautiful and fertile. God's judgment left it as a desert wasteland. And you, as you go online and you look for photos of the region, you can see it's just a wasteland. Just a wasteland. Additionally, verse 26, but Lot's wife did what? She looked back and became a pillar of salt. <clears throat> Lot's wife isn't named. She's only known because she looked back from uh, back back longingly for her former lifestyle. She had a, her her thinking, her horizon was just earthly, if you will. It wasn't heavenly. Her roots were deep in the lifestyle of Sodom and had more regret for the destruction of Solomon than, than regret for the sin of the people, perhaps. Jesus, when speaking of end times, said, On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house 
not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night there will be two in one bed, one will be taken, the other left. There will be two women grinding together, one will be taken and the other left. All that's recorded in Luke chapter 17. Speaking of the end time, speaking of a, period, a time of rapture, if you will. So some takeaways, quickly. First, <clears throat> you can't examine, you can't read chapter 19, honestly, and, and, and not walk away with the knowledge of a sexual relationship with members of the same sex is not God's will for mankind. The Bible calls it a sin, and it's covered in many places, by the way. Uh, of course, it's only one kind of sin. Paul places this sin alongside aside 21 other kinds of sin in Romans chapter 1 and alongside eight others in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Same-sex sexual, sexual relationships aren't the only kind of sexual relationships that are described as outside of God's intent for mankind. Promiscuity, immorality, adultery, prostitu prostitution are all called out as sins in the scriptures. But there are a lot of people who are slaves to all kinds of sexual desires. And secondly, the bigger lesson that this teaches is about the character and the nature of God. He's both holy and compassionate. Because he's holy, he can't tolerate sin. He can't be in the presence of sin. And since God is everywhere, he's always in our presence. Or said another way, we're always in his presence. So all behavior is viewed in that context, not just sexual behavior. All people are slaves to some type of behavior that is outside of God's will. Now that, now, that sort of sounds like perfection is required in order to be right with God. Well, the reason it sounds like that is that's right. Right and wrong, though, aren't determined culturally. All right? They're determined by God's word. Fortunately for us, God is also compassionate. He's, he very much wants us to be forgiven of our sins. So he sent Jesus to take our sins on him and, and credit the perfect righteousness of Christ Jesus to us. Let's pray. My Father, as we leave this place this morning, help us to take these words to our heart. <clears throat> Give us godlike vision. Give us compassionate hearts. Our desire is to be like our Son Jesus as we leave this place. We turn ourselves now to worship, to praise you, to fall before you, to hear you. We do it all in the name of Jesus as we pray. <clears throat> Amen. Yeah.